Hello, congregation of First Baptist Church. In our Bible study, we take up where we left off last week talking about the body of Christ. And we look in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18 through 22. And it says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we are also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, that's a lot said there. And we're taking up last time in which Paul begins his revelation regarding the church. He reveals that we are becoming one body, Jews and Gentiles, all people in one church as one. He calls it one new man. And Paul gives that illustration here. We are a spiritual building. We're inhabited by the Holy Spirit through our new birth, and we fit together as one. And I talked about the fact we need to all get along. We need to all love each other. And just remember, if there's somebody in the church that you don't like, you're going to have to spend an eternity in heaven with them. So I would strongly advise finding a way to like them <laughs> because you're going to have to spend all eternity. And my hope is when you're in heaven, if there's somebody in the church you don't like, they're your neighbor. And so that's my, my prayer for you. But learn how to love everyone and to appreciate everyone. We're not all the same. We don't look the same. We don't dress the same. We have likes and dislikes, uh, so on and so forth. We need to learn to accept our differences, and work within the confines of that. But we are one church spiritually. We're like the bricks in a wall. And I remember this from construction. When I was in college, I worked one summer construction. I had to tear down a couple of cement block walls. And I remember how hard that was when it started. And some years later at Community, we were beginning a building project on our fellowship hall. We wanted to extend it. And the first job was knocking down the wall. And they gave me something commensurate with my education. They let me knock down the brick wall. And as I started, I hit it a few times and the hammer kind of bounced back. And I remembered when you have a cement block wall, the bricks, once they're in place, Crunch down. There's pressure. The wall actually becomes stronger after it's finished because there is pressure of the weight of all the cement blocks on the others and they all fit together and strengthen one another. Now, is that a great illustration for the church? How that we all fit together in the church and strengthen one another? That's a great illustration. And you know, you're not able to get it, but every, once I got the one or two or three bricks out, then it was easier to get the others. And once Satan can knock out a brick in the wall, folks, it's easier to get to the other bricks. Just remember that. And so let's all be strong in the Lord and strong as a spiritual brick wall uh, for the Lord. 
and, and be strong in the Lord and help. By, by doing this, we help others within the body of Christ and the entire body of Christ. So that's, that's a lesson that's important to be remembered. And this lesson is not lost. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to further share this with you. Verse 26, the interaction of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, and if you have that attitude, then you'll always be in the right frame of mind. If one of the members is successful and they drive into church and they have a new car, you're not jealous of that. I used to always say, I'm thankful that God has blessed you with that. And praise the Lord. That's, that, there's no jealousy in that. We, we rejoice when others are blessed. We don't get jealous of them. We rejoice. And, and likewise, when they hurt, we have some that are suffering illness in our own church here, uh, dealing with cancer. We have several individuals dealing with cancer right now. You know, God, be with them. We suffer with them in a way. We think about them. We pray for them. We, 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 in our hearts, we are tugged by that. And we look at others in the world and that are suffering in foreign lands in Africa where many of the churches are assailed by terrorists and uh, Islamic terrorists and they come in and they kill the pastor and shoot the women and children and the horrific things that people are having to deal with. Many of our brethren are dying abroad in foreign countries right now. And we should weep about that. We should pray for the suffering church we don't yet see it in America. Maybe our day is coming, but there is a part of the church that's suffering. And we as part of the body, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one's honored or blessed, we all are blessed. Amen? That's the way it has to be. We are the body of Christ. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. It's called the body. And it's greatly illustrated in the fact in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is converted. Now, what was Paul involved in doing? Well, he had, ran, he had went to Stephen. Stephen was one of the early leaders of the church, had Stephen stoned, killed. He began to round up others and have them killed. And he was getting letters to, it says, uh, uh, to go to Damascus and find any Christian, anyone naming the name of Christ, to bring them bound to Jerusalem, to throw them in jail, maybe have them stoned as well, put to death. And Paul, on the road to Damascus, Jesus doesn't say to him, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting believers? What, is, what does Jesus say in a very odd saying? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Do you follow that? The body of Christ. He was killing believers, hurting believers, but Jesus says, you're, you're, you're persecuting me. The body of Christ. This shows how that we're all one and brought together 
in the body of Christ, the union of believers of, to Christ himself. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And throughout this book of Ephesians, that is emphasized over and over and over the oneness of Christians, the unity, the concord that we have in Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 5, he says this, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, one Savior, so on. One Spirit. We are one in Jesus. And that is a doctrinal fact. Now, in practicality, we're not always one, unfortunately. And we should be. And I've talked a lot about this. That the church, in order to be successful, has to be one. We have to be unified. Unified in purpose, outlook, ministry, reach. So doesn't mean we have to all agree on everything. Doesn't mean we all dress alike. Doesn't mean, you know, I'm not talking about that. And I'm talking about we don't always agree on some of the minor doctrines. And I'm thankful that God put that in there. That we as the church have to be unified on the major things. And Paul continues his theme in chapter 3 as we're about to go into by talking about the mystery. It is a mystery. Now what is a mystery? A mystery is not not like a murder mystery. Not like murder she wrote. Uh, A mystery here is a truth never before revealed. Now let me say this. Because I've heard people say this. Well, the church never thought about, never mentioned, period, till the New Testament. Ah. But was the church inferred? Absolutely. Don't kid me. You don't think the references in the Old Testament to the bride and, and saw in other in books where it talks about the kinsman redeemer and all that... Don't you think there was at least some inference of the church? I absolutely did. Matter of fact, before the church existed, what did Jesus say? Upon this rock I will build my what? Church. But the church is not yet existing. So Jesus starts talking about the church before it ever exists. Was that a foreshadowing? Yes. And I think many times... Uh, you, you look at, for example, the Gentile believers in the lineage of Christ. I think all those are a foreshadowing. Uh, the verses in uh, <clears throat> Isaiah where it says, when Jesus comes, the Gentiles, the light, he will lighten the Gentiles, the Gentiles will seek after him. I think all these are inclinations and foreshadowings of the church. Was it revealed? No. As a truth? No. But a truth never before revealed. But Paul finally, doctrinally, openly reveals this doctrine, the mystery that had not yet been revealed, only inferred, only foreshadowed, but not ever seen. And so we go to chapter 3, and we begin there talking about the church. Now, we're not going to get through anywhere near get through chapter 3 today. We're going to get into it, but we're still along that same theme of the body of Christ. Now, it talks about the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, 
what Paul is talking about there is a stewardship of a particular time. Now, there's no question when we come to the New Testament, we're in a different time. We have what? We go away from the blood sacrifices to the Lord's Supper and baptism. We, we go forward into a, a, a frame of time in which Jesus is here on earth. The grace of God is revealed in a greater way. And Paul said, this is a stewardship or a period of time in which the grace of God is more well known. And, and that's certainly true. Uh, but let's begin in verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. He starts with a very unique statement. He is a prisoner, not of the Roman government, but of you, of, of Jesus Christ, for the purpose of you, for you Gentiles. And again, we talked about the fact that the church at Ephesus was mainly Gentiles, not totally, but mainly Gentiles. And so Paul says, I am a prisoner, not of the Roman government, but of Jesus. He's prisoner for the purpose of Jesus and doing the will of God. And being a prisoner, Paul had nothing to do but write. And what did he write but the wonderful prison epistles and many epistles. So he was a prisoner not of the Roman government, but uh, in reality a prisoner of Jesus. And the reasons for his bonds are not political, they're not legal, but they're in the will of God. God used his imprisonment to give us these wonderful books. Aren't you glad? And so if we look at chapter 1 and verse 10, let's look there. Chapter 1, verse 10. And he says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth and in him. And then that Acts 9, 15, it says this, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So who was Paul going to? The Jews before the Gentiles and ultimately where? Kings. Well, he was before King Agrippa. He was before other kings. He finally was before Caesar. And so Paul bore record of the gospel before all of these. And that was the original mission that Jesus gave him. And the notice the words are from Jesus. That Paul, this is what you are going to do. And I can't imagine uh, such a thing. But Paul received the word from Jesus. This is what you're going to do, Paul. And, and he had an amazing life. As we look, we look back at the life of Paul and we're just in consternation. But that's exactly what Paul has done. And, I'm, you know, we think of the opportunities we have to do mission work. And he certainly uh, had it. And where is Paul at? Rome. How important, for the sake of the gospel, do you think it was to establish a church at Rome? 
How important. Very important. Rome was the center of the world, the, the civilized known world. I mean, Rome was the center of everything. And so if you have a church established in Rome, people going out from Rome and so on and so forth. So the establishment of the church at Rome for the sake of the gospel was paramount. And that's why God led him there. There's no mistake. Hey, listen, there's no mistake that Paul ended up in Rome and guess who came right behind him? Peter. Do you think that's odd that here came Paul? Both died at Rome. They established in their blood, let's face it, as the early apostles laying the foundation of the church, they shed their blood at Rome to establish the church. They gave their lives for, for that church to be there. And all the persecution and all the persecution and the Christians that suffered there through that persecution, what happened? Christianity became stronger and stronger and stronger. It's amazing that we find out even in a country today like Iran, the gospel is spreading. Why? Because of persecution. Wherever Christianity is persecuted, it grows. It's, it's an amazing thing to us. We don't fully understand it. And, of course, in America, because we're so, we've had such blessings and Christianity hasn't been persecuted, it's been absorbed into the culture, unfortunately. And rather than being a counterculture, our culture, it's part of the culture. And that's what's wrong with Christianity in America. Uh, we don't think it's a big deal. It's, it's every, there are churches everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. But I would beg to say this. How many, uh, I was talking with another brother this week on Facebook. We were talking about churches. I said, how many are really authentic churches that attempt to follow the word and preach the word? Well, you know, if we, if we do that scenario, we may reduce the number of churches greatly in America. And if we go to different levels of, of being a mature church, a spiritual church, we may reduce it even more. You may come down to a very unique minority of churches that are actually spirit-filled, trying to do the will of God and following the Word of God. But yet, in other countries, we find those churches are more spiritually filled. Uh, I remember Dr. Jim Harris talking about his trips to, to uh, South America. I remember Scott Huppin talking about people sitting in the rain for three hours in the pouring rain, to hear a message. And I remember Jim Harris going to South America, to Brazil, and he said they would come in, young people, young people would come in, teenagers, would come in and sit for three hours to listen to the preaching of the Word. You couldn't get teenagers in America to sit for three hours and listen to the Word. What's, what's different about our culture? Again, we've become part of the culture we have too much, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm kind of off the subject there. He goes on to talk about this, this revelation given him in verse 3. How that by revelation he was made known unto him the mystery, as I wrote in, before in few words, he says. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but as now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it was revealed uh, 
unto Paul uh, exactly what had happened. And this is the truth. This is the mystery. The mystery of the church not revealed. And uh, let's look, let's hold our place and look in 1 Peter one twenty one, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter 3.15. Let's look in, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 21. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is what the men in the New Testament did. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's 2 Peter, not 1 Peter one twenty one. In 2 Peter uh, 3, 15 and 16. That an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given him, has written unto you. So God had given Paul special revelation. Peter says that as also in his epistles, speaking of them and these things, which are some things hard to be understood, and which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Uh, key there, he's, Peter says, yes, Paul's words were revelation. Yes, they are scripture. And so the apostle Peter confirms what Paul has written in his epistles as being Scripture, the Word of God, and his revelation about the mystery. Uh, and again, the mystery was inferred or foreshadowed, and I mentioned that here in my notes. And I give some examples. It might be the Song of Solomon. It might be the evangelism of Nineveh, the nation of Babylon that came to Christ, other Gentiles, the Queen of Sheba. There are many examples in the Old Testament of multiple Gentile nations coming to the Lord. So the Israelites weren't the only believers in the Old Testament. Babylon, the nation of Babylon, Nineveh, all these became believing nations, the Medes and the Persians. So revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. Now here it is in verse 6, and here's the crux of it we've been talking about, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus by the gospel. So the promise to be the children of God, to be the people of God, is brought through by this church, this establishment of the New Testament church, the body of Christ. Now you might say, well, this is quite a, a thing. Before in the Old Testament, there was Israel, there was Israel, there was Israel. And now in the New Testament, there's a church, there's a church, there's a church. Wow, we didn't see that coming. Well, if you didn't see that coming, you're not studying your Bible very well. Go all the way back to the time of Abraham. Remember Abraham? And God gave a promise to Abraham. Abraham, two things. Your children shall be as the sand by the seashore, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. So if you were paying attention 
When you read that promise that God gave to Abraham, now he went and established the nation of Israel. Why? So Jesus could be born through the lineage. Okay. But the first part of that, let me say, the Jews were not then, nor ever will be, like the sand by the seashore. I think that's a given. There's not enough Jews in the world, or ever will be, to be like sand by the seashore. So he had to be talking of something more than the Jewish nation. And, and we know that's all the believers, as God says, it's the stars of heaven, the believers who have come to Christ, who are recorded in the New Testament, are, Paul says, children of Abraham by faith in the book of Galatians. The second part of that, how would all the nations of the world be blessed except through Jesus? And if you look at the nations of the world, so many nations of the world have Jesus Christ, even those who are rabidly Islamic have Jesus. And the church, maybe it's underground, maybe it's meeting in houses in China, wherever the church exists. So the nations of the world have been blessed and the children are as the sand by the seashore. And how did that happen? Gentiles. So that's why I said the foreshadowing of the church. If you didn't see the church coming, and you didn't see the Gentiles being blessed, and you didn't see nations of the world coming to Jesus, then you weren't looking. You weren't paying attention. Because it's right back there with the story of Abraham. Now he went on and established Israel, and Israel became the children of God, yes, in the Old Testament. But what was coming? What was coming was a Savior. Who would be drawn to the Savior? After him would the Gentiles seek. Clear. Clear to me. And so it was a mystery, yet it was a mystery foreshadowed that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs, here we go, children of God and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus by the gospel. That's how they came to be, through Jesus, and that's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it says in verse 7, whereof I am made a minister. Now we're going back to the book of Acts where he's, what, the original commission given by Jesus to Paul, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the Jews, and before kings. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. So, he's saying that through the grace of God that he would be that minister, that apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 8, unto me who am less than least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There you go. Paul himself affirms, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And I always say, God has a sense of humor. Amen? And who... Does he choose to be the apostle to the Gentiles? A Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisee. The worst. If you were looking at all the apostles and you said, hey, we got to find somebody to reach the Gentiles. Who do we want? Well, we don't want Paul. He would be the first one eliminated. But God has a sense of humor. I'm going to send somebody to the Gentiles. I'm going to get this guy that was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and he's going to go reach the Gentiles. Amen? 
Why? That shows God's power. Did they want to listen to Paul? Well, you know, the Greeks, they believed in being physically fit and, and developing. You know, they were big, robust, the Spartans, you know, and all that. And, and who, who does Paul? Here comes a short, little old, short, ball-headed Jew preaching. And, and what? He reaches people. That's the power of God. And he says it's according to the power of God. You know, I was once a preacher in an urban setting. I had a church, and, and it was almost in the black section of Salisbury. Uh, in fact, all the black people knew, knew me so well there. When I ran for school board, I carried those two precincts because they knew me. And I, in fact, uh, I was walking down the street one day, and a, and a black guy, he looked like a boy in the hood with his rag, do-rag on his head and everything. He said, hey, hey, preacher. And I ran over and says, don't you remember me? I'm little so-and-so from Vacation Bible School. And, you know, and just was happy to see me. I was treated well by those people. But I had a church in an urban setting. And uh, a black family came into our church. I'll never forget, they were teachers at Catawba College. And we, we had a meeting and, and we were talking about, it says, it's very unusual to see a, a church like this in an urban setting. And and everything. I said, yes. And uh, we were talking about that. And you're an unusual preacher to do that. And I said, yes. And I said, and of course, who does God pick but a boy who grew up in the country in, in the cornfields and cotton fields and, and peanut fields of western Tennessee, a redneck, uh, if there ever was one, to go into an urban setting in a town and build a church. But that's what God called me to do. And we built a church there. It really built the church up, and God blessed us, and we had, I think, an average of 40, 50 people uh, join the church, and that many baptized every year. God does some very unusual things, and God has a very unique sense of humor, does he not? He didn't use me to go to country churches. <laughs> I've all my life been in city churches, and uh, although small, small cities uh, somewhat, but God chose Paul. The very opposite of what we would think God would do. And God, as a, if you're learning nothing else from my Bible, Bible studies, you're learning what? God goes outside the box, doesn't he? Well, let me tell you, God's outside the box. Go out some, sometime and find him. You'll find he is outside the box. And so God calls Paul to this thing of preaching, this apostleship of preaching to the Gentiles and establishing the church. And going back to verse 1, he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, for the purpose of being a servant to the Gentiles. And so I think we're going to stop there, and we're going to take up next time talking about the Great Commission and how that led into uh, this time of establishing the church. And I think we cannot labor enough on that because we're talking about the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a very important subject. And it's important that we learn things about that. And remember, he purchased the church with his own blood. Uh, Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus is head of the church. He's going to say that in this book. And, and so the book here spends a lot talking about the establishment, who's the head of the church, etc. Structure, uh, gifts, and all of that are all here.
And of course, this is the model church, and this is a book that really is written for the church in general. And so for all churches, it's a general epistle. And it was read that way. Okay, we're going to end there, and I'm going to end with prayer. We're going to pray for the sick in our church, for those in need, for those who, through this uh, virus situation, may have lost jobs, income. Uh, A lot of people hurting right now. And we need to lift them up in prayer. Uh, We need to reach out, minister as much as we can, uh, give somebody some food in the name of Jesus, buy them a meal if they're a shut-in person, uh, go get them a meal and take it to them. Do, do something through this thing to minister to people and show the love of Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And we have people sick in our church. Reach out. Let them know you're praying for them. And as I said in my letter, sweet, call somebody. Contact somebody in the church. Let it be somebody you don't know that well. Pick out somebody you don't hardly know and call them. That's good. That's what God wants us to do. Get outside the box. Amen? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to have you guys being radical Christians before you know it. I hope. We, we need some radical Christians in the day we, we, we live. We need somebody to be radically in, in love and on fire with Jesus. Amen? So let's pray for these needs today. Lord, we come to you. We ask your blessing uh, through this time. We pray for those in need. We have those that are battling cancer and other physical ailments. We may even have somebody battling the virus who is sick or some type of virus. We pray for those. We lift those up, Lord. You know who they are on our prayer list. And Lord, for those who are in need, physically, financially, uh, Lord, I pray that our country can get back to normal soon. But Lord, lead us through this, restore us, help us. There's so many needs. And Lord, we look to you now, but Lord, we don't forget at the same time how you blessed us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the manifold blessings of, of, the, of youth uh, through Jesus. Thank you, the grace of God. Thank you for salvation. And we give praise and honor to you, our Lord and Savior, today. In his precious name, Jesus, amen. Thank you, congregation. God bless you.